last week, as uh, Omar mentioned, that our series is stronger. We've entitled this series stronger because there is a misconception, there is a thought, an idea that fasting makes you weak, that fasting is extremely difficult, which it is, um, especially if you're fasting from, from food. However, that is a misunderstanding. When we see scripture, we see how fasting actually builds you up and makes you stronger. I hear from many people every January, the past is hard, how am I going to do it, how am I going to make it through? And uh, we're here to kind of teach and instruct that what is the opposite was true, that fasting makes you stronger, fasting makes uh, change happen in our physical bodies, in the physical realm, and also in the spiritual realm as well. Fasting has a way of clearing your mind, of allowing your focus, of removing clutter and distractions from your heart, and being able to hear the voice of God more powerfully. This dynamic duo of prayer and fasting together divine doesn't make you weaker, it makes you stronger. Please go learn from Jesus as an example before he stepped out into public ministry. He fasted for 40 days. At the end of that fast, the devil came and tempted him three times, very luring, very uh, deceptively, very appealingly, tempted him three times, and Jesus was able to overcome. The temptation of the enemy because he was in a strong spiritual state. He had been fasting, he had been seeking God, spending time with God, denying his flesh. And the three times that the enemy tried to tempt him with the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, he just overcame temptation. And we learned that fasting and prayer makes us stronger to overcome temptation. Last week we read this amazing account of the prophet Daniel. He was mourning, he was mourning over his people. Now he's turning back to Jerusalem and he entered into a 21 day fast, which we now know as the Daniel fast, right? Where he didn't eat any uh, delicacies, he said, or, or top foods or, or rich foods. It was a very stripped down, basic kind of meal plan that for 21 days allowed him to fast and pray to see God. And at the end of the 21 days, he received this vision, he received this angel, and the angel explained to Daniel from the moment he began praying. 21 days ago, God had given you your answer. He had sent me to give you this answer. But for 21 days, I had to fight opposition. I had to fight princes and powers in high places to get to you. But because you were praying and fasting, I did it. And I'm here to tell you the vision. And I'm here to tell you the things that are to come. And we see from that that when we pray and fast, things change in the spiritual realm. And then Daniel becomes just so weak. As his vision that he's seen, and by the touch of the angel, he is strengthened, and Daniel says, Your touch has made me stronger. Speak to me, God. I am ready to listen. You see, praying the fasting changes not only the spiritual, but it also changes the physical. Today, I want to talk to you about stronger to move forward. Stronger to move forward. The new idea is this when we are seeking God for what's next, Prayer and fasting allows you to hear the leading of God in a much clearer way. You are stronger to hear it, stronger to move forward confidently in what God has called you to do. One of the questions that I get most when I talk with people or meet with people is many people want to know, what should I do? What should I do in this situation? We all face seasons in life when we have big decisions, right? We're contemplating what is the next big move? Should I take this job? Should I go back to school? Should I move? Is this the person that I want to marry? Uh, is this the career path that I want to you know, go after? Or what is the next big decision that 
friends have you with you do. And many people always ask, like, what should I do? What does the future hold for me? I want to know what God wants me to do. Now, I remember when we were kids, when we were kids, there were places you would go to to, to kind of ask, what's the next, right? How many of you remember the Magic 8 Ball? Right? That was kind of a classic place where you would go. You had a question, if you were a kid, in my era growing up, you would go find the Magic 8 Ball and you would say, uh, okay, should I ask this girl to the middle school dance? And you would shake up the Magic 8 Ball and then someone asked you like this, right? And the next picture here, uh, you get an answer like this, and you say, okay, I guess I'm not going to ask the young lady to go to the middle school dance. Like, don't bet on it. Uh, and a lot of us would go here to get kind of a direction uh, for our life. Okay, I'm really going to take advantage now for some of you. How many of you use this to ask goals? Okay, you guys know. You guys know this thing. I don't even know what to call this thing. But you know what it is. It would be like this. You uh, like the very color team. Oh, you're the very Johnny. Okay, what kind of house do you want? Uh, you're the number seven. Oh, you're going to live. The trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> How many kids do you have? A picture of the car, you know? And you have 17 children living in the trailer park. And it was okay, I know my future, those little pieces of paper. Tell me what to do. Another thing that seemed back in my day, some people would go to this thing, right? Zoltar machine, you would put a quarter in there and you would say, okay, uh, you know, this is the high school I want to get into, and it would give you a little piece of paper, and it would kind of tell you what your future was going to be. Fortune cookies, whatever, astrology, people have all different kind of places that they go to because they want to know the answers of what should I do next? How do I move forward? Because there's times in life when you have major decisions. Make the choices that you have to make. It's been very confusing, very overwhelming. And then a lot of times, if you don't know what to do, a lot of us lack a real good guidance that we can go to. We don't really have, you know, influential people in our life that we count on in life. And we go to these strange, weird, random methods. And one thing's true about all of these, right? You really can't move forward confidently relying on any of these methods, right? Because they're all random. All this chance. When we ask ourselves, what is it that I should do? Really, in essence, what we're asking ourselves as believers in Jesus is, God, what is your will for my life? That's the question that we're asking. And, and, and Jesus, when he taught us to pray for what's known as God our Father, right? The thing that we have to pray is, Thy kingdom come, but Thy will be done. But in my life, you're on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, we pray to know. The will of God. What is the will of God? The will of God is God's perfect plan for you. The plan that He's preordered and predestined. It's perfect because it's His will. And we must pray to understand that will. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church, in Colossians, said this in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Paul and the people that were very influential in the church are praying for this church. They're saying, since we first heard about you, we're going to be praying for you. What is it that they've been praying for this church? He tells us right here. He says, we ask. We're asking God. And remember last week, we 
we, we, we learn that sometimes we don't have because what? We don't ask God. Prayer is that process of asking, seeking, and knocking. And here Paul is saying, we're asking God to give you complete knowledge of what? Of His will. You see the prayer and the supplication of Paul and the church to this new church to say, we're praying that you guys would have knowledge, that you guys would understand the, the, the will of God for your life. He gives you complete knowledge of His will and He gives you spiritual wisdom. But there is that again, not just human wisdom, but He will give you spiritual wisdom. Because understanding the will of God, you need both human wisdom and how to respond. You need spiritual wisdom and how to hear, how to understand what is the will of God for your life. He says, then you will live the choices, right? Then you will live. The choices that you will make will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. That means the choices that you make will produce good outcomes in your life when you have full knowledge of the will of God. But to do that, you must what? You must pray. You must pray. Because all the while you will grow, and you will learn to know God better and better. One who gets the other. Know God will know His will. You know His will because you know God. When we talk about the will of God, there's two things that we need to understand. There is something called the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God, this is what you need to understand about the sovereign will of God. There's nothing that can change or stop. There's no human power, no natural power, no physical power, which can stop the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God, what God wants to do, will always be accomplished. Whether you pray or fast or not receive or not, the sovereign will of God will always be accomplished because it's God's will and He does what He wants. And that should come with great assurance when we're in decision time. Because we understand that God has a good and perfect plan for me. His will is going to be done. I have assurance that God will work out everything for my good, right? That's a great assurance to understand that God has a sovereign will that no thing or no power could ever stop or hinder. Now, there's another part of God's will which is called the prescriptive will of God. That's different. The prescriptive will of God are the things that He wants you to do. That's but he gives you a choice in whether you will do them or not. This is what we know as the doctrine of free will. Now, some people have asked me, like, why does God even give us free will? Like, why does he mean this force is to always obey him? It's so much easier. God was like that. Well, here's why God wouldn't do that. Because God desired a genuine relationship with you. And it would not be a genuine relationship, it was something forced or manipulated upon you. God wants you to choose to desire Him. He wants you to choose to love Him. He wants you to choose to, to seek after Him. So to want Him more than anything, because that is real relationship. If you are forced to love your significant other, would that be a real relationship? That's kind of the relationship where somebody says, you love me, and they say, love me. Here, you know. That's not a relationship. 
But a relationship that's sought after, that desire is genuine, it's authentic, because there's a desire for both people to want to be together. And that is what God wants from you. God doesn't want robots or automatons or, or, or people who are programmed to want to. He wants people who want to seek and desire after him and please him and do his will. Now, here's the thing whether it's the sovereign will of God or the prescriptive will of God, regardless of what you choose, one thing you need to understand is God is always in control. God is always in control. Listen, in the prescriptive things that He wants you to do, if you choose not to obey God, He's still in control. He still has the power. Now, before we get to Acts 13, God promises us and instructs us that we can ask Him. What his will is for our life. And we can trust him for that. Jeremiah 29 11 makes it clear that all of us, God has a plan for you. God has something he wants to do for you. God has a work for you to complete. Jeremiah 29 11, a very famous scripture says, This is God speaking to the prophet. He says, I know, God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you. See that God has a plan for you, and He knows it. What is that plan? That plan is good, not for disaster. And that plan is meant to be a future and a hope. God's plan, God's will for your life is something, and it's something good, and it's specifically for you. Now you can trust God in this plan. You can ask Him to speak to your heart about it. You can seek Him for it. You can keep knocking on the door and say, Lord, open the door. Show me. Let me in. Now, a knock is, it needs to be persistent. It needs to keep going. One knock doesn't always open the door, but a persistent, desperate knock will get a response. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His what? Will. Seek, very soon that part again, ask, seek, not, this repetition of prayer. Seek his will in everything that you do, and he will show you what the path to take. He will show you how to move forward. He will show you the decisions to make. He will give you the best options for your life. You can trust him in that if you seek what? His will. Now, how does that show this to us? How does he express this to us? Does he write us a letter? Do we get an email, a voicemail? I mean, how does God communicate this to us? God can choose any way to communicate his will. But one thing that scripture tells us is that he uses the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, to be your guide. Your guide to your life, your tour guide, your, 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 your roadmap, your GPS. In life, and especially when it comes to the major decisions of how to move forward, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you. Listen to what Jesus told the disciples. Listen to John 16, verse 13. He says, When the Spirit, the Spirit of God, right? When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. The Spirit of truth will be your roadmap, will be your guide, will be your inner voice, will be your inner GPS, and He will guide you into what? To all truth. He will not speak what is known, but He will tell you what He has heard. In other words, He's communicating that God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it's all one. Look at this last part. He will tell you 
about what? No more of them. The Spirit's going to speak into the let you know, look, this is, this is what God is doing, this is the real of God. Remember, we're struggling, listen, if you're here and you're struggling because you are, you, you are wrestling with a major decision that's coming up, you're battling with something. What do I do? Is it, is it A or is it B or A or is it even a C or a And is it just overwhelming? It's crushing? You don't really know which way to go? If you're struggling, trying to figure out what's next, you could be confident in going to the God, not in Magic's A-Ball, not in Astrology column, right? Not Zoltar. You can go to the living God who has a perfect plan for your life and receive the guidance and the direction that you need. So how do we see this? Let's look at a real example of this. Acts 13. In Acts 13, the church is at a crucial point here. This is the early church. They have been gathered after the resurrection of Jesus. They have been empowered in the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts 2. They have been building community, they've been preaching the word. The heavy hitters up to this point have been like Peter. Peter has been doing these major works and has this major following, and Peter's moving the church forward. Uh, in Acts 1 8, this is what Jesus tells them just to kind of build a foundation on it. This is Jesus' promise to the early church that's found in Acts 1 8. He says, You will receive power with what? When the Holy Spirit, the guide, the counselor comes upon you, you're going to receive what? Power. It's not only just you'll receive direction, but you're going to receive power. This is not like a, like a power from your muscles. This is not a power from nutrition. This is not a power that you gain intellectually. This is a power that only comes from God. And he's saying you're going to receive that power. Because God will take up residence within you. He says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Sense of opposition. And from the beginning of the church, that's what they do. The power of the Holy Spirit within them, they're preaching the gospel, they're converting people to Christ, they're persecuted and they're scattered, yet they grow. And here in Acts 13, they reach a turning point. There's the next phase, they're, they're dealing with this major decision. Who are we going to send out everywhere? Who are going to be the first people, the first team that we send out to preach this gospel everywhere? And what do they do before they make that decision? They gather, and they pray, and they fast. They pray their fast. In the moment of them asking God, what's next? So if you're here, you're saying, God, what's next for you? This is a year with major decisions. Once to learn from their example of what they did first before they took action. Because fasting and prayer makes them stronger to move forward with confidence for what God has for you. So, begin here in verse 1 of chapter 13. This is what the Bible says. It says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas. So, so the, the church was gathered in this place called Antioch. Uh, it was like home base for the early church in this moment. And here are like the five key leaders of the church. The Bible names them. There's Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Remember who learned about Barnabas? We spoke about encouragement. Honor is this guy who just knows to just uplift people, a great leader, an amazing encourager, and a gifting son of encouragement. 
There was a Simeon who was called the Black Man, who was an African. Now, there is some debate whether this was the same Simeon who helped Jesus carry the cross on the road of Calvary. There's debate there, there's not certainty there, but there's some evidence that would suggest this is the Simeon who helped Jesus carry the cross. And he is a North African, he is a black skinned man. There's Lucius from Cyrene. And there's Bernian, who was a childhood friend of King Herod Antipas. But you know, in the Bible, you know, King Herod Antipas was a very corrupt, evil leader. And here is like his stepbrother. This word companion here means more like a stepbrother. That means that Bernian was probably the son of a servant of the house of the king. And he grew up with this guy. And just to show you the importance of choices, here are two individuals who grew up in the same home. One grew up to, to persecute the church and kill some of the early church leaders and be a corrupt evil leader. And the other one is serving God. The importance of choices. Same upbringing, same home, two different directions. But I want you to notice something about these five. These are a multicultural group. This is a diverse group of people, and I love that about the early church. If there was no limits on race or background or experience, it really didn't matter where you came from or what your upbringing was. If you were raised by shady people, or you were the son of encouragement, or you were a black man from Africa, you were a part of the church that was one body working together to glorify the living God. I about the early now, as powerful as that is, how many of you know that when you get this, all these different viewpoints in one room, it can be hard to make decisions, can it? If you get all these different experiences, all these different backgrounds, all these different points of view in one room, trying to make a decision, it would be difficult. I mean, the seeds for disagreement were probably perfectly set with this group here. Just how different they were. So these are the five. Verse 2. It says, One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. I want you to notice the church there and just how common and how just normal it was for them to be doing these three things. Worshiping, praying, and fasting. Now, what did they mean worshiping? That they had like a band up on stage and they were like in a 24 7 worship concert. No, worship means that they were working for the Lord. That means they were working for the Lord. Everything that you do is an act of worship. Remember Colossians 3 23. And whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord with your whole heart, right? That means you go to work. Your work is an act of worship. What you're doing right now, this is worship. You, you do homework for your kids at home on a weeknight. That's worship. When you do well at your job, that's worship. Everything that you do is worship unto the Lord. Right? Because He's worthy of our worship. The Bible says that while they were fasting and worshiping, they're fasting, right? They're restraining the flesh. They're denying their flesh. And whenever you deny your flesh, you build up the spirit. Within you. A decrease in one equals an increase in the other. Surrendering our desires, worshiping and fasting is always the first step of seeking God for what's next. So they're worshiping and fasting. The Bible says that as they're doing that, what? The Holy Spirit speaks. This is the second time in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit speak to them. 
We saw it once earlier in Acts 10 where Peter gets this vision of how to minister to the Gentiles. And here, uh, we don't know was this like a voice from our eye? Did God speak through one of these five leaders? God used someone else in their congregation to speak. You don't know, was it an inner just kind of function of them understanding, hey, we're, we're hearing the voice of God? You don't know, but one thing is clear, God is speaking. One thing is clear, God is speaking. Man, when you pray your fast, your ability to hear the voice of God is tuned up so much more clearly. God is speaking to them. And what does the Holy Spirit say to them? He says, a point Barnabas and Saul, he's not yet called Paul, he's still Saul, but he was this up-and-coming disciple-maker who had been preaching and taking influence. The Holy Spirit says, appoint these two for the special work that I have called them. There's so much in this scripture that's beautiful. One, how the Holy Spirit speaks. And two, how we have been called to a special work. Again, God's perfect will for your life. You can call that God's special work for you. And here the Holy Spirit was revealing the will of God for this season, for Paul and for Barnabas and for the church, by revealing, I have called them to this special work. What was their special work? That they would be sent out to go preach the gospel to the greater area. And who is the one who called them? Was this the church commissioning them? Was this these five leaders commissioning these two guys? No, this was the living God said, I have called them out into this way. See, when you are seeking God for what's next, confidence comes by knowing, look, this is not my decision. God has called me to do this. If God calls you to do something, man, you have the confidence. To go knowing that you're operating in power. In power. Verse 3. I love this. It says, So after more, what? Fasting and praying. You see, they, they got the message, but they weren't so quick to act yet. They took a off. After more praying and fasting, the men laid their hands on them, and we all gathered around together. And imparted on them. That word, the picture there of laying of hands, and we see that in church sometimes where people would maybe put a hand on someone's shoulder uh, to pray over them. Why do we do that? Because in the Bible, we see that as a way of imparting from one person to another. I am praying this over you. I am imparting. I am passing along to you. This power, this anointing, this acceptance, this confidence, this trust that God is working here in our midst. So these, the church, the men lay their hands on them and they set them on their way. Verse 4 says, Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. Together they prayed, they fasted before they took action. Before the ascending, there was what? There was prayer and there was fasting. And this is so counter our culture, isn't it? Because our culture demands action. When something major is happening in your life, and if you ever just take a moment, people are saying, What do you do something? Why aren't you doing anything? Hey, in our culture, we live by the maximum that what? Actions speak louder than what? The words. 
actions. We are a culture that values actions. But sometimes before you move, I would say oftentimes or almost most of the time before you move, you should always seek God first for what the action is. You consider the diversity in this room, the fact that you were able to come together in a oneness of this decision. That's trust and confidence. Knowing God has spoken. Knowing God has spoken. So here I want to end with this. There's three lessons that we can learn from Acts chapter 13. These four verses. What are three things that you could walk away with that you could implement in your life today? For moving forward, for moving forward into a major season of decision, something you've been contemplating. How do we draw in to understand what God's plan is for us? The first thing we have learned from this, at this first point here, is that God gives direction to those who are walking and living in Him. God gives direction to those who are living for Him. When we read the scripture, these men were all worshiping. Fasting and praying. That means they were they were active in their walk and they were seeking God and the desire for the direction that they sought God provided for them. Why God provides direction to those who seek Him, to those who live for Him. Look at Psalms 37, verses 23 and 24. It says, The Lord directs the steps of who? Of the godly. Now I want you to notice this little detail. Little G. Little G. Right? Because God's expectation of you and God is to become part and copy of Him. Because we are sinful, broken people that we will never be like Him. But people who strive to live for Him, who live by His edicts, by His culture, by His command, by, by His commandments, right? The people who strive to live a godly life. What? The Lord directs their steps, He provides direction for them. He delights in every detail of their lives. He can take assurance in knowing that the things that you're struggling and deciding on, he already knows them. And he has great delight in knowing them. He says, though they stumble, they will never fall, and the Lord holds them by the hand. You know what the imagery is here? Have you ever seen a parent? I've experienced this with my children when they're learning to walk. And a parent will set to that toddler up on their feet and her tennis, you know, all over the place. And they might take two steps and fall right on their butt. And what do those parents do? They think that is the greatest thing in the world, right? Oh, man, look at that. They took two steps. Oh, they hugged the baby. They posted on Instagram. They shared with everyone. Everyone's commenting. Oh, cute hearts, love, whatever. You know, why they say? In perspective, it's two steps. But why is that such a great deal? Because that's a child. Because there's a relationship there. Because there's encouragement there. What do they do when that child falls under what? They stand them back up and say, Come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. There's joy and there's excitement there. Listen, when the Lord orders your steps, when you follow Him, He's bad. He's bad at staying there. Come on.
telling that even though I want to stumble my way through it, like a newborn, stumble through the first step. God, you are holding on to my hand. And it says, they will never fall. So these men are praying, they're, they're, they're living a godly life. God generously comes in and provides what? The direction that they see. The second thing that we learn is that we should intentionally pray and fast before taking the action. Before they decided who they were going to send out, before they decided who were the ones who were going to send on this mission, they intentionally took time to pray and to fast. Now, it must be both. Just fasting by itself is nothing more than dieting, honestly. Okay? You see, oh man, I've been fasting all week. Okay, that's great. But it's praying going along with it. If it was just fasting, awesome. You're having a great diet. Where, where, where's, where's God in that? You're mastering your flesh. That's great. But where's the refilling? When fasting is two parts. Fasting is an emptying, it's a denial, and it's a refilling of something to fill that space. That's so why when we fast through food, we use that time to pray, we use that time to seek God. We use the hunger pain that maybe we experience during fasting to remind us of our great need of God. And before you ever enter into a major decision, a major season, prayer and fasting is a great option to take before you make a decision. Now, now listen, I must give you this caveat. We won't always get direction from God for every decision. Right? You know what I'm saying. There's some you know, decisions that we make major, but are really not major. What should we go to dinner this week? Oh, major decision. Let's ask God. Let's pray about it. You can have some stable or lobster or chili, okay? For the major decisions, you know what they are, for the things that are overwhelming and, and, and stressful and, and the ones that you're really seeking for him, uh, God will provide an answer. Why? Because his word says he will. And I said to you, though, because his word says he will. Look at Psalms 138, verse 3. It's the Psalm of David. And such beautiful words of David here. He says, as soon as I pray, as soon as the words are released, you what? You answer. You encourage me by giving me strength. You see, praying and fasting prepares your heart to be in a posture to receive the direction of God. Why? Because you are emptying yourself. Have you ever tried to fill a bottle that's already full? It's impossible, right? You take a full bottle of water, try to put more water in it. It's not going to work. Why? Because it's full of itself already. Some of us, we go to God and we want an answer to God, and, and we want to try to cure from God, but when you're full of yourself and your desires and your will and your plan and your smarts, God can't fill those already full of itself. But when we empty ourselves, and what is the way of emptying yourself? It's when you fast. See, Lord, I'm going to strain this flesh. I'm going to bring my flesh to zero. So that way there's room for me to be full of what you're speaking in his mouth. That's what we do before we take any action. And that's what these leaders did here. Because fasting and prayer also removes the distractions. The distractions that want your attention, that want your ear. Things that scream at you to pay attention to it. Or we need to pray and fast. Those 
things are lowered, and our spirit man is lifted, and we're able to hear God clear, and we're more attentive to what he's saying. The last thing is this that we learned from this is that praying and fasting can be stronger to move forward, and the confidence that comes with moving forward, the greatest confidence you can have in your decision going forward is knowing that God has sent you. That God has spoken that decision over your life. Listen, these guys were about to go on the journey of their life. And from the very moment it started, they were going to encounter opposition, and they were going to encounter people who were against them, they were going to have to wrestle, and they were going to have to fight. This mission trip was going to cost some of these people their lives. It was going to bring hurt and real pain upon their lives. And the way you move confident in knowing that, you know, you're stepping out into a delicate season, the confidence comes from knowing that this is not my decision. I am being sent by God to do this. In Acts chapter 13, it says that when Barnabas and Saul went out, they went to Cyprus, and there they met the governor of the region. He was a Roman governor. And the Bible says he was an intelligent man. And because he was an intelligent man, he invited Barnabas and Saul, uh, who for the first time is called Paul, uh, to stay with him and teach him about God. This was an intelligent Roman guy who was leader, government leader, who wanted to know more about Jesus. But this guy had some crazy friends. And if you're, you know, hooked up with somebody who wanted to know more about Jesus and you were just teaching them and they got some crazy friends, and crazy friends show up and you're like, oh man, you're here, wow, man. So when I was going to be able to talk to this guy one-on-one. Well, one crazy friend that this Roman governor had was this sorcerer. And his name was Bar Jesus. This guy literally called himself the son of Jesus. He walked around saying, I'm the son of Jesus. I'm the son of Jesus. He was a sorcerer. He was a friend of the governor. And now Paul and Barnabas are there, guests of the governor and his home, and the crazy bar Jesus friends there. Another Paul and Barnabas are trying to teach this man the gospel. This bar Jesus character is just very antagonistic, probably tongue cutter. I'll listen to them, they're crazy, man. That's, that's nonsense what you're telling them. I am the son of Jesus. Listen to the gospel. And he tells us here, at verse 9, this is in Genesis chapter 13, verse 9. It says, Saul, also known as Paul, very interesting, the first time he's called Paul, and it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks in the eye of our Jesus, and in verse 10 he said this, listen, this, this is confidence in knowing that when you sought out for the decision, and you move forward in that decision, you could move forward with boldness and with confidence because you're not following what you want, you're following the will of God. And look at Paul here in verse 10. He looks at Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, and he says, You son of a devil. Paul was in the hood, man. Maybe he was struggling with the other thing. His language was reformed. He says, You son of a devil. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? This is boldness. This is, this is Paul, verse 11. He says, Watch now. So he says, well, watch out now. For the Lord has laid his hands of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. 
Now, being blind in that time really puts you on the margins of society. Because you would not be able to defend yourself, you wouldn't be able to feed yourself, you would become a better, reliant on other people. Being blind was a tough way to live in this culture. He says, you will be struck blind and you will not see sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging, begging, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Now look at verse 12. I'm talking about where does confidence come from in moving forward. Imagine being all you can give you confidence. You know, paper can be able to give you confidence. Souls are not giving you confidence. Astrology will not give you confidence. Essential oils choose you good lives. One of that is going to give you confidence. You will be confident in that you follow that person. You will be confident in life. And what was it that these men were set out to do? The priest the gospel and bring people to Jesus. Look at verse 12. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer. I don't blame him. If I want to see that, okay, you're not his believer. Let me go with you. Let me go with you. He became a believer, and he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. He was a man who had probably been in school, in Rome, the greatest philosophers, the greatest thoughts, the greatest places of learning, and yet these two simple men showed up spoke the gospel to him, and at that teaching, he was what? He was floored. He was astonished. He became a believer, a follower of Jesus in that moment. Why? Because these two men, before they went out, what? They fasted and they prayed. They heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, our guide, and say, this is how we're moving forward. And when you can see God that way, and you receive your answer that way, you can move forward in a confidence and a boldness with a clarity of understanding that I am not following my will, I am following the will of God. And my question to you is who's sending you? Who's sending you? These men were sent not by a congregation, not by five individuals who pray to pastors. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in John 20, speaking to his disciples, he was speaking during the moment to those who were hearing him. And this is a word recorded for all of us. The heritage of the apostles and the saints of God who laid the foundation for the church. We learned this from weeks ago, that when we are a church, we are a people who are heaven sent. Heaven sends us into the world to be the hands and feet the salt and light of Christ. Who is sending you? John 20, 21, the word of Jesus. He says, Peace be with you. For as the Father has sent me, and Jesus himself was one who was sent, so Jesus is sending you. You. Jesus is sending you. When you hear that voice, you know this word. You have confidence you can take on the world. You can stand in front of the bar Jesuses that are out there. And speak boldly to them. And say, I am not doing this as myself, but as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And when you walk in the position of an ambassador, the U.S. has ambassadors all over the world. They represent this nation and this government, the places, and the four corners of the globe. 
And when they walk into a nation, they are on foreign soil, and they are in another sovereign nation's domain. But yet, when that ambassador walks on that foreign soil, they walk with the full backing, the full power, and the full uh, allotment of rights and privileges given to them by the government of this nation. No foreign government or no foreign leader can deny that because they are an ambassador empowered by this nation. And when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your classrooms, when you walk into your homes and into the gyms and into the clubs and into the places where you go, you walk as an ambassador of Jesus Christ himself, empowered by the kingdom of the power of God. The kingdom of God empowers you. So he is represented by him because he is the one who is essential. We all have decisions that we're wrestling through. We want them to honor God. It's difficult to try to understand God, what do you want me to do? What is my move going forward? The challenge for us is to draw near to him. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And his will will be revealed to you. Thank you. Thank you.